now, introducing the newest member of the U.S. Olympic curling team. He's rocking his newest Olympic jacket to show his team pride. He is Glenn Clark. Good morning. It is Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn Clark. He is Paul Valley. It has been a busy, busy weekend. Thanks to all of you who joined us for any part of the Project Game Day Draft Special. Thanks to all of you who tuned in for uh, my show with Rita yesterday. Thanks to those of you who came up and said hello at Project Runway on Friday night or at the FanDuel Sportsbook on Thursday night. It has been a heck of a last four days. And I hear something happened with some football players. I'm not exactly sure how that all works, but... We'll try to get to the bottom of it during the course of the next couple of hours. Lots to do on the program today. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to meet the new punter, Jordan Stout, former Penn State Nittany Lion. He is going to check in with us. We will find out what it means to him to be a Raven. Later on this morning, Peter King from NBC Sports, scheduled to check in. Of course, you've probably already read his piece this morning in which he was embedded in the Ravens draft room on Saturday for their fourth round. Kind of gave away a couple. It's funny, we played this Would You Rather Wednesday. The Ravens appeared to allow Peter King to share, frankly, more than I would have expected, specifically the story of them taking Jordan Stout and then wanting Calvin Austin, the wide receiver from Memphis. By the way, if I would have hit on Austin too, holy F. The bludgeoning I already gave these guys in our draft draft. The fact that I was one pick away from it being six? I I don't know. I'm starting to think I had inside information. I told uh, you this was going to happen. Yeah, but this is... There's, no, there's nothing that explains me hitting on five... Five of my first ten picks were drafted by the Ravens. You remember the pro football... Um the, the NFL Raiders Association, you get to vote on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you remember that for a reason, man. Well, I don't get to vote on the Hall of Fame, though. No. Oh, I they, thought you did. No, they oh, pick, that, I guess that's just they the pick one. Raiders. They pick one person per market See, to I, vote on the Hall of Fame. I did not know that. Baseball yeah. it's is been very Scott, different. It's been Scott Garceau. I don't know if it's still Scott or not because, you know, obviously he's not really covering football any longer. I. He did for a long time. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. I haven't even bothered to ask. This is how much I cherish my membership in the Pro Football Writers Association of America. I have no bloody clue. I vote on some of the awards. I do that, but I don't vote on the Hall of Fame. Um, nuts. But, yeah, so that was the, the kind of the one that jumped out at everybody. The Ravens, where they took Demarion Williams, they were trying to take Calvin Austin, but the Steelers got him a pick earlier than that. We'll talk about all that uh, with Peter King, his experiences in the Ravens draft room over the weekend. Mike Golick's going to check in with us. We'll get his thoughts on what the Ravens did during the course of the draft. Uh, he's a Notre Dame guy, of course, so he's probably got a few thoughts about Kyle Hamilton. And it's Monday, so we will check in with Jeremy Kahn as well. All of that coming up today here on Glenn Clark Radio. Today's show brought to you by the Baltimore Police, who are still looking for a few folks. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good, bpdrecruit.org. Paul, do me a favor. Throw me a pen that actually works. This pen over here is non-functioning. Does that one work? What's going on with all these non-functional pens around here? the hell is happening our pets heads are falling off what's going on um a couple of things before we chat with jordan stout i am 
I have discussed ad nauseum between yesterday's radio show and our draft recap special on Saturday. By the way, uh, if you missed it yesterday, Ken Zalis announced that he is retiring from his role here at PressBox as our NFL draft and fantasy football expert. We will miss him deeply. He wants to be a dad for a little while. Who knows? Maybe he could revisit that at some point. But um, we love KZ, and we're grateful for everything he's done. We'll probably let him come on one more time to sort of do like a, a farewell kind of segment here in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and give him a buzz and just see if he answers. I, I, I don't know. Um, I have said everything I'm going to say, frankly, about, and I got a column today at PressBoxOnline.com about this particular topic, which is, are the as well as I think the Ravens did in the draft, and I think they did very well. I think the Ravens had an exceptional weekend of picking football players, specifically in the rounds that mattered. I have no idea what they really did in the fourth round. It's very difficult to tell. The fourth round is when the draft starts becoming a crapshoot, and I know, as Peter King alluded to in his piece this morning, I'm very aware that the Ravens think that the COVID pandemic may have pushed some more talented players back into the fourth round this year because they didn't want to come out the previous year. And maybe that'll prove to be the case. But I'm not... this. The drafts aren't made or broken on fourth rounds. If you happen to do well, mazel. If you find football players, and the Ravens obviously have found some football players in the fourth round over the year, great. But your draft is defined by what you do in those first three rounds. And in those first three rounds, I think the Ravens did extraordinarily well, specifically in terms of the players they took. But I can't escape. I don't know that I feel any stronger about the Ravens' chances of winning the AFC North or the Super Bowl this year today than I did last Thursday. I think at most I would say I feel like it's a wash. I like the picks. I think they're good picks that could be here for some time and could help continue the foundation of a Ravens franchise that wants to stay competitive constantly, that always wants to be in the mix. But I'm going to acknowledge that watching what the Rams did has made me sit back and wonder about the way this is going to work for the coming years. And who's going to win the Super Bowls? Will the Super Bowls be won by teams that try to stay competitive and do the right thing and select best player available? Or will they be won by the teams that say, no, the hell with it. We want to win the Super Bowl this year, and we'll mortgage everything in order to do that. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. And I think it's something that we... We're so used to just assuming that the Ravens' way of doing things is correct because they have, they've had great success doing it. They have almost always been in the hunt, save for years where they've had quarterback injuries. They've almost always been in the mix at all times, and they've got two Super Bowl titles to show for their troubles. But I don't know, especially in the escalating quarterback salary universe, I don't know which is going to prove to be the best way to go about doing things. And the NFL draft does reflect your final opportunity to truly change the course of what that year could be from a 
talent compilation perspective, this is really your last chance to change what your team is going to be next season. That doesn't mean that a trade couldn't be made. I think if we're being practical, the likelihood of the Ravens being bold and going out and being the team that gets Debo Samuel is slim to none. I think we also, specifically when we talk about the wide receiver thing, we have to be fair about the fact that the same things that Hollywood Brown is feeling are being felt by a number of the wide receivers around the NFL. And these guys have more leverage than you realize. If you want to pay them $25 million a year, like the Eagles did for A.J. Brown, then by all means. And to be clear, I'm not saying don't do that. That's, that's where the market is. If you can get this type of player, go pay him $25 million a year. But short of that, a player that has leverage, that's a top-level wide receiver, might be more likely to say, are they, are they paying me? If you're Debo Samuel, I'll come to Baltimore. If they're the ones paying me $25 million bucks, I'd do it. But I think if we know the way the Ravens do business, it's not likely that they're going to be the team that pulls off that type of trade. It can be done. It's not likely. And the free agent market is what it is at this point. Yes, there will still be players that get cut, but for the most part, there's a reason why those players get cut. It doesn't mean that there's never a helpful piece, but for the most part, this is it. This was your last chance to drastically change your roster. And the Ravens, for the moment appear to have shuffled the deck chairs. They didn't have a glaring need at wide receiver as of a couple days ago. They have a glaring need at wide receiver today. They, they addressed edge rush long term, but we don't know if they addressed edge rush short term. I mean, everybody's hopeful that David Ajabo can get back on the field earlier than you would think, and... As we talked about ad nauseum, the length of time that we have always believed for these types of injuries to hold someone out has not proven to be the case. These guys are returning far quicker than they ever did before. But does that mean he's ready to be an NFL caliber edge rusher? Even if David Ajaba were to be back on the field by Halloween, is he ready to be a high-level NFL edge rusher on day one coming off a significant injury? It's unreasonable to assume that David Ajabo can address the problem this year. It's an un, not impossible, unreasonable assumption to make. Especially when he's still so green as a football player. He hasn't been playing football that long. There's no doubt that that's part of the story as well. No question. It's part of why it's unreasonable. Again, not impossible, just unreasonable. Do I feel better about their offensive line? Yeah, sure, I do. I like Tyler Linderbaum, but it's qualified. I still need to know about Ronnie Stanley. Like, there's still the, there's a giant 8,000-pound gorilla. It's awkward. That's a huge gorilla. Yeah, it's a massive gorilla. This, this offensive line will be defined by where Ronnie Stanley is. Saw Ronnie Stanley on Friday night. He looked great. Had a short chat. He says he feels good. I didn't interrogate him because he couldn't possibly know. But it it lingers over what the Ravens can do on their offensive line this season. 
They added nice pieces. They added guys I like. But did they change their likelihood in terms of winning a Super Bowl? And I get it. Somebody might say, well, who did? Who's drastically better today than they were? And frankly, the teams that we probably feel the strongest about in that case are teams that we also think have no chance of winning the Super Bowl, like the Jets and the Giants and the Lions, who I think all had great drafts. But until their quarterbacks prove that they can be anything at all, I, I don't think it really matters that they had great drafts. I think they might have great drafts to help their next quarterback, but not necessarily for this season. I'm not trying to say the Ravens can't win the Super Bowl either. I'm saying I don't know how to measure. Our traditional metrics for measuring a draft have been Ravens-like concepts. The best player available. Be patient. Be true to your board. And we all believe the Ravens did that because we all believe they got players who are amongst the best at their respective positions in, with each of their first four picks. We think Kyle Hamilton was the best safety in the draft. We think Linderbaum was the best center in the draft. We think that David Ajabo, if healthy, would have been one of the three or four, at least top five, best edge rushers in this draft. We think Travis Jones was the second best defensive tackle in this draft. So we like all of that. And we have every reason to. We, don't, we also have no idea. We don't know anything about what we're talking about. There are plenty of guys that we think are pro-ready prospects over the years end up crashing and burning, where I don't know if you've heard this, the most accomplished quarterback of all time. I know they never talk about this, but he was selected in the sixth round. So we're talking out of our ass when we say these things, but we have every reason to think the Ravens got good football players with each of their first four picks. But did they get guys that helped make up the difference for beating the Bengals and the Browns we'll still say the Steelers for the sake of it, in the AFC North this season, and for cracking through an insanely loaded AFC. Insanely. And the best answer I can give you is, I don't know. How could anybody possibly know at this point? I think we could feel more strongly about it. I think if things had fallen a certain way, I think if the Ravens, for example, had come out of the first round and after dealing you know let's say their first pick had been Garrett Wilson and we were all like what the hell they're drafting a wide receiver and then we find out that they had traded Hollywood Brown Mm -hmm. and then with that other pick in the first round they took Jermaine Johnson I think that a lot of us would sit around and say yo let's go like they did what they needed to do now we'd still ask about the offensive line we'd still have a question there Mm -hmm. But it's specifically the positions where they took the players that makes us say, how much better did they get now? Does Kyle Hamilton, who again, I think we all believe is going to be a very good football player, does he make this defense drastically better? Or was it already a pretty good defense whose holes didn't appear to be at the position where Kyle Hamilton plays? Which isn't to say that Kyle Hamilton can't be used, as we talked about a million times, as more of that star type. Chuck Clark now can move, play more of that star role. He could help more as an inside linebacker covering tight ends, and I think it makes your defense better. But does it overcome whatever your deficiencies might be as far as the edge rush is concerned? I don't know, because Tyus Bowser could also get back and ready to be ready to go for the start of the season. 
Adafi Owe could be ready to make a massive jump from year one to year two, and that could be all you need to improve your edge rush. It might very well be that you didn't need to do anything at all, that you had the pieces. But today, in measuring a football team, I have to ask. it's, It's relevant to me. And we can't talk enough about the wide receiver thing. You got one. And it's one that's never played a full season in the NFL. The, the guy that you're counting on, the guy that you're... And I have every reason to believe that Rashad Bateman is a capable of being a high-level NFL wide receiver, but he's never done it. We're banking on something we haven't seen. And we have to. He's got to be that guy. If he's not that guy, holy F, this could be a mess. Rashad Bateman has to be an extraordinary, not a good receiver, not someone who was worthy of being selected late in the first round. He's got to be an extraordinarily high-level wide receiver in order for this to work. And that gives you one. (laughs) That gives you one. And none of this is me saying you need to desperately make a move for whatever, you know, veteran... I was getting into a fight the other day with KZ because he's like, I don't want to keep signing injured wide receivers. I'm not telling you that's what you need to do. I'm telling you there's nothing at this point, short of, again, making a trade for one of those guys, that you're going to do that's going to make me feel differently. I hope these young receivers that are likely to be pressed into more opportunities this year, I hope they pan out. I hope they prove to be as good as we all thought they could be. Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, Tylon Wallace. I hope that's the case. And it looks more and more like the Ravens will need that to be the case. But if I'm being objective, if I'm separating from wanting to see these players succeed or wanting to see the team succeed and looking at it from an outside perspective, it jumps off the page at me as being something that would make me quite concerned. None of it means the Ravens can't win the division or they can't win the Super Bowl or that anything they did over this weekend was a mistake. I like what they did this weekend. But we have to measure the two things equally. And just because we've been conditioned, indoctrinated into the be true to your board, best player available theory of drafting does not always mean that it's the singular correct thing to do in terms of teams trying to win championships. We'll find out. If these players all hit for the next decade and the Ravens don't win a Super Bowl, I don't know how we measure that. We'll say they were great draft picks. But what's the goal? The goal, is it to find players or is it to win Super Bowls? These aren't these aren't easy. They're not easily answered. If I had the answers, my God, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd run to the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, and I'd start putting in bets now. In fact, I'd I'd like to do that anyway. <laughs> I think I'm going to go do that. FanDuel Sportsbook has 61 self-service kiosks that are open 24/7. So whatever it is that you are betting on, you can go there to bet it. And there are two huge fight nights coming up. This month, UFC 274, and then Baltimore's own Javante Davis back in action. You're going to want to be there for both of them. 
I would try right now to reserve your spot, your table with you and your friends, your reclining chairs for those big fight nights by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. That's events at sportssocialmd.com, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Baltimore Ravens have themselves a new punter, and we've got an opportunity to catch up with him for the first time right here on GCR, the pride of Penn State. So I know there are a lot of folks in these areas. I hate how many Penn State fans there are in this area. It drives me nuts, man. Like I, it drives me crazy how many Penn State fans there are in my, my life. My stepdad's one of them. Oh, bro, they are. They come out of the woodwork. But he, he's he's from Philly. Right, that's a different. That's a different conversation, I guess. Joining us now, he is the new Ravens punter. Ravens fourth-round pick, Jordan Stout, with us on GCR. Jordan, it is Glenn and Paul. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time for us, and congratulations on being a Baltimore Raven. Hi, guys. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Jordan, can you take me through? Did, did you have a feeling going into Saturday about where it is that you were going to end up? Did you, did you know that this was a legitimate possibility? I did. Uh, I talked to Coach Randy Brown quite a bit, and through the process, he kept telling me that he has several fourth-round picks, and I, I knew eventually that one of those might have been me. Just had to just had to wait it out. I mean, it worked out okay for you. When when in the process did you start to feel like the Ravens were the team? Like as as this was going on, was there any one particular conversation or meeting, or was it just about that relationship with Randy Brown? Well, through my private workout I had with uh, Coach Brown, um, I, I, I knew that there was a good chance. But then, as after Friday, I knew I didn't go in the third round, that I was definitely going to be a Raven. I mean, there were a lot of picks in the fourth round. <laughs> there were, yeah, I know. They, they had, I mean, it, was just, it was a no-brainer. <laughs> right? They had basically like a third of the fourth round <laughs> picks. Were being I know. Made. It was unreal. Jordan, um, your your path. Let, let me let me dive into you and your background. Um, how did you get into football and specifically into punting and kicking? When did you in your life like know, hey, this isn't just something that I, I, I can do for fun or to hang out with the guys. Like This is maybe my path and what's going to end up being my vocation as I get older. Yeah, um, so I, I played soccer my whole life and about my sophomore year of high school, or ninth grade, oh, it was ninth grade, yeah, that's right. Uh, our, we were at soccer practice, and just, just practicing, and then the, the quarterback for the high school team came out, and he's like, hey, we need a kicker. Uh, everyone, can, can you guys line up and kick a ball for me? And he lined everyone up, and some made it, some missed, and then I made a 40-yarder. And he's like, all right, now you're going to play football next year. And then <laughs> I was like, all right, I have to talk to my mom. <laughs> Because she was always against me playing football, but it worked out for both of us. Yeah, it worked out okay, I would say, Jordan. It worked out <laughs> decently. So so it goes from kicking, kicking and punting. I know you've done both of them, but kicking and punting are two very different things. Obviously, as a soccer player, once you started playing football, did you just immediately say, hey, I should probably figure out if I could also drop the ball and kick it really far? Like, how did it go to punting? So the company I trained with, it's called One-on-One Kicking. His, uh, the guy's name was Jimmy Howell. He used to be a punter at UVA. And the way that one-on-one teaches is you, you need to be a combo guy. And when I say combo guy, what, what I mean is you need to kick field goals, you need to punt, you need to kick off, and you need to hold. And if you do all four of those things, you can be very successful at the next level and even the next, next level. Right. So they always taught me to do all three, all four. And it just kind of was natural to me because that's what I always did. 
was there any one moment in a game in high school or even in college, like either as a kicker or a punter? I guess specifically for us, we're kind of more. I don't know if you've heard, we've kind of got a decent kicker here in Baltimore, Jordan. Yeah, I don't, he's pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to be asked to do a lot of that in the coming <laughs> years. Which is fair. Um, but was there one moment, one thing you accomplished in a game at any point that made you say, like, oh, right, yeah, this. That the, the, the NFL becomes reality for you at some point because of what you saw yourself do. Yeah, um, I would say, I think the reason I'm in the situation I am now is because I do have the confidence that I always have ever since high school. I said I'm going to play in the NFL one day. And, you know, I feel like what we do, football in general, but even more specifically specialists, you have to have that confidence. And I'm not saying be cocky, but I'm saying when you go out on the field, you know you're going to make the kick. And you know you're going to punt the ball 50 yards. You have to know you're going to do that. If you do have a bad punt or kick, you can't let that get to you. You have to have a one-kick mentality and go straight back on the field the next punt or kick and, and, do, and do better. This is how it has to be. Where did that come from for you? How did, how did you manage to take on that mentality? You know, I, I wish I could tell you um, part of it could be where I'm from, being from a small town, my high school coaches, my dad, but uh, I, I just, I, I couldn't even tell you. Okay. I mean, it's just sort of always been a part of your nature then? It has. It's okay. Even through soccer, I always wanted to be the best. If I wasn't the best on the team, then I, I wasn't very happy. <laughs> how would you handle, like when you were, specifically when you were, how would you handle a missed kick when you were in college? Were, what, what, what would it look like as you were coming off the field, as you were on the sideline, even after the game? Well, what I what I did is I kind of gave myself 15 seconds to be upset, and then after that 15 seconds, I have to forget about it. Okay, and and what okay? What do those 15 seconds look like? Is it is it f bombs? Is it you like are you are you are you throwing things or is it more yeah. like <laughs> you can't noticeably see anything if okay if you were watching the TV? It would okay. just look like me walking off the field, but right. I'm, I'm mad in there. Jordan Stout is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. He's the Ravens' new punter selected in the fourth round on Saturday. Um, Jordan, are there guys that you've looked to in, in the punting game? And, and obviously, there's you know, the, the elephant in the room, I guess, is that Sam Cook has been here for a very long time and has been one of the standards in terms of punting. And a lot of people credit him with kind of revolutionizing the concept of punting. Was, was he someone that maybe you had looked to, given his what we call it, the golf bag that he kind of brought to the, the sport over these last 10 or so years. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the best things about the situation I'm in is I'm, I'm going to get to learn from one of the best to ever do it. And that's going to be so surreal. He, he's a phenomenal punter. And, you know, I've learned so much in the last four months. I can't imagine how much knowledge he's accumulated through the past 17 years. So just to be in a room with him and take his brain a little bit, is going to be un- unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's it's in- it's incredible what he's done, Jordan. As do you have a similar style? I think a lot of people were comparing you to Matt Areza in the draft, right? The San Diego State punter, but he's got this like can boot the ball ninety yards. But then you look at some of his other numbers, and you're like, oh, I can see why maybe Jordan was the first punter taken in this draft. Yeah. Do, do you pride yourself on on having that kind of golf bag? of various punts that you can go to in certain situations to maximize the value and not just be a guy that can boom the ball forever, but, hey, that doesn't help all that much because it's going into the end zone. Yeah, uh, I do. And, you know, the thing is, is I, I have probably 10, 10, 11, 12 punts that I could pull out if need be. But right now I think the thing I need to focus on is directional punting, pinning it on the sideline, 
mm-hmm. and just pretty much relying on the basics. And then after I get comfortable and the coaches get comfortable with me, that's when we start pulling the rest of those punts out of my bag and start to experiment with those a bit. What about as of a... course, if, if the coaches want me to use those specialty punts right away, then that's what I'll do. But sure, sure, I, I, I get that entirely, man. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that they want from you, man, you're just trying to make your way through in the NFL. I completely understand right. it. Jordan, what about as a holder? You referenced that earlier, and, of course, that's another part of what's made Sam so great here in Baltimore over the years is he's held for the greatest kicker in the history of football, and that operation has been very clean for a very long time. Um, I know you it's holding is something you've even spent a lot of time with during the course of this the draft process, right? It's... Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you've been doing and how comfortable you are as a holder? And for, for those of us that are idiots that just think, like, all you got to do is catch a football and get it down, what have you learned about the art of being a holder? Right. Um, so I held in 2020 uh, for, for a guy named Jake Penninger. And because that's the year I was, I was handling long field goals, I wasn't doing the short ones as well. And I, I, was, I was good at the time, but... Since the off season, I've spent so much time on perfecting that because you know I, I never knew where I was going to end up. I could have ended up with Tucker, and that's what happened. So I've I've worked a lot on it. I've gotten really good at it. Not that I wasn't good at it before, but I I feel like I've reached new heights. And I know that's crazy to say because I'm literally just holding. <laughs> but it, it's it's as small as me hitting my spot every time. Me being able to get the laces around regardless of what side they're on. And I've been around a lot of kickers this off season, and they all raise my holding and that means a lot because it's something I've worked really hard on I, I mean that's important I look man that's you know that's what's going to keep you in the NFL for a long time right like that's the way that it goes if, if you're a solid punter but you can't hold on to the football then teams are going to say I don't know like I don't know if we can keep an extra guy around to be a holder J- Jordan, right. Jordan Stout with us just another couple minutes here on Glenn Clark Radio Jordan Obviously, we don't know how this is going to play out, but if the opportunity for you is that you're the guy come week one of the NFL season for the Baltimore Ravens, how confident are you that you're ready to to do all of the things that an NFL punter needs to do for a winning team? Uh, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before in that confidence, and I, I've never been more ready. Uh, I think regardless of what happens, Ravens are going to be in really good shape next year. I, I appreciate I appreciate that, that like there's got to be something a little uncomfortable about this and how you're handling it. I just need you to know that, right? Like the way you're handling it is quite well and the respect and the deference that you're showing and I, I imagine that's quite easy because you know just how good Sam Cook is. Right. Like you got to show deference to somebody like no, you, that. you do. I mean, he's been in the league for 17 years like he knows so much more than me and I, I just I want I want to learn from that. How exciting is it for your family and your friends? You're from Virginia. You went to Penn State. This is kind of like the perfect medium for everybody to be able to come see and watch you play games in the coming years, right? It's... Yeah, it, it's surreal. So we, we had a draft party in Nashville, and we were all there. I was with, there with five of my close guy friends, four of my close girlfriends, um, parents, aunt, uncle, family friends. <laughs> And after I got drafted, there wasn't a dry eye in the whole place. And wow. It was just so so awesome to see 
all of all my people in a room with me that cares that much about me. It was it was really cool. Does it mean something that the Ravens have been a team that's constantly been ranked at the top of the special teams rankings? That like it, punting for anybody is a big deal. Being an NF, there's only 32 of these jobs available, right? It's not it's right. not like wide receiver where they're going to keep six on the roster. It's a big deal no matter where. But does it mean more that it's an organization that has so prioritized special teams in their history? It 100 percent does, and that's. That's why I'm so happy to be a Raven. That's that's part of it. The other thing we got to ask about is we've seen a little bit of the video. Man, you kind of dropped a dime on a fake that we've seen so far. It was <laughs> it was a rainbow. I mean, it was up there for a minute, but you can get away with that when the receiver's open like it. How much more do we uh, like? How much more might we be able to see uh, Jordan Stout, the uh, the fake punter, over the course of the years? Fourth down quarterback. As much as I need to be. Hey, man, we love that. Somebody, I was talking to my buddy Kyle Andrews, covers Penn State for the Center Daily Times, and he was like, dude, you don't realize how fast Jordan is. Like, he's really, really fast. Do, do you, what were you clocked in at? Believe it or not, we weren't paying a ton of attention to punter 40 times. Like, it wasn't which is, some, which is understandable. Um, what were you clocked in at? I ran a 4.65. D- dude. So maybe it was a 4.63, four, six, but, um, at the end of last spring, when I was in like good to, good shape, I, I ran a four four five. Holy f! What? Yeah, but I, I let I let the offseason get to me. Okay. Okay. So all right. So what you're saying is, if there are going to be running plays called for you on a fake punt, we might need to spend a couple of months like getting back to that place. Maybe a, a little less pizza and donuts in the coming I, I'd months. Say it'll take, I'd say it'll take a month. A month, and, and you're right back there. That's uh, a specific program. Yeah, I like that. Holy crap, man! Four, four, five. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Like, did you did you think about maybe you should go back to soccer at some point? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't thought about it. God. It just means my legs faster. I can be a better punter. Oh man. That is wild. Jordan, it's great to get to know you, dude. What, what can we plug for you? Um, uh, social media, anything that is you got going on, what can we get plugs in for? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, Instagram is jordanstout98. Twitter's jordanstout92. That's good. Give him a follow in those spots, man. We can't wait to, to see you here in Baltimore, man. Get to know you over the coming months. Jordan, congratulations on uh, becoming a Baltimore Raven. May we be having these conversations for the next 20 years about what you're doing here in Baltimore. Appreciate you taking the time for us this morning. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Jordan Stout, new Baltimore Ravens punter, checking in with us here on GCR. Good to get to know him. Um, Look, quick reaction to that. I'll say the same things I said all along. If you're using a a fourth-round pick on a punter, it's because he's going to be your punter. So I, I knock on every piece of wood I can find where I say, you know, as long as nothing goes wrong between now and then, that's your guy. What that means for Sam Cook, I don't know. I mean, we talked about that on Saturday. I don't have any answers. If the Ravens know that Sam Cook is considering retirement and they're just trying to wait for him to make his own announcement, r- respect. Respect to Sam Cook, maybe, if he was playing along with the Ravens and not retiring before the draft so that, other teams didn't know with certainty that they needed a punter. I, respect. If the Ravens are firing Sam Cook and just saying we need to move on, well then, you know, you're going to be judged by did you get this right? I, I get it. I don't, we talked about this during Would You Rather Wednesday. I get, we all saw the same thing with Sam Cook. A little bit of heat off the fastball last season. But still a quality punter. So I don't think they needed 
to do this necessarily. But if they just found their guy that's going to be their guy for the next 10 to 15 years, the way that Sam Cooke has been, groovy. just said groovy on a show in 2022. Yes, you did. Stand by it. Groovy. I am fine with you making the decision, but you're going to be judged by it. I mean, that's just the way it's going to go. If Sam Cook goes and signs and I don't even know who needs a punter, Arizona, I, who knows? I think they got Andy Lee. I don't know who needs a punter, but he signs somewhere else and he has a monster season and Jordan Stout were to struggle, then you're going to be judged for the decision that you made. They can live with that. They had six fourth-round picks. You can probably get away with using one of them on a punter. People were asking me yesterday, why, did the, why didn't the Ravens uh, draft the guy that can punt the ball 90 yards? I said, when do you ever need to punt the ball yeah, 90 man, I don't, yards? I, boy, things must be going drastically wrong if you need a 90-yard punter. Right. It's a matter of what else can he do? Where can he place it? The directional punting that, that Jordan just talked about. And look, his his big leg got a raise a lot of attention, and that was he was the guy everybody knew about. Mm. So admittedly, I didn't do any work on. He's the only punter I had heard of, so I didn't do any work on Jordan Stout. But when you dive into Jordan Stout's numbers and what he's capable of doing, he says he still needs to work on his directional punts, and that's been a big part of what's made Sam Cook so great for his career. But, um. If he's somebody that's capable of giving you the punt that you need in those circumstances, the one that hangs in the air, allows your coverage to get down there, the punts that pin people inside the 20-yard line, then good. That's that's about what we can look for in a punter. That's, that's about the way that this works. Today's show also brought to you by the Stan the Fan Variety Hour. Stan and Ross had to mix things up a little bit this week. They're going to push Rick Dempsey back to next Monday. Tonight, they're going to have, uh, they're going to sort of go all in talking to Adley Rutschman as uh, Luke Jackson, Press Box editor in chief, the uh, man who authored this month's cover story about Adley Rutschman is going to join them. That's tonight, 6 o'clock, facebook.com slash pressbox sports, pressboxonline.com slash video if you miss it. Come back in. Some more things I want to discuss. Still to come this morning, Peter King's going to join us. Mike Golick's going to join us. we got a lot to do as we continue to discuss the fallout of the Ravens, the NFL draft. It's all on the way. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MD gamblinghelp.org that first sip that first bite mm. start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with our popular Korean number two sauce, and take a bite out of the crunch burger topped with home run sauce, white American cheese, and house made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. Baseball is back. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. You can find us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon talking all things Orioles and Major League Baseball. Like the debuts of Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. And how the rotation and bullpen are rounding into form. Watch us live at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Or you can listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. That's the bat around live with the latest in baseball coverage every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcasts. It's Glenn Clark Radio. All right, thanks again to Jordan Stout for joining us this morning, the Baltimore Ravens' new punter. We are working on other members of this year's class of Baltimore Ravens, and we will see how the next couple of days come together in terms of chatting with those guys. Um, let's take a brief respite here from NFL Draft Talk as the Baltimore Orioles took 2-3 of three from the Boston Red Sox this weekend. The man who tells us all about it, we give him... We don't know if he can handle it. We don't know if he's revved up for a full two minutes. But on Mondays, we give it to him. Well, he gives it to us. I'm not really sure what kind of innuendo I'm making here. He is our buddy Paul Valley. He's our two-minute man. All right, so the Orioles won a series against the Red Sox, as you alluded to. They got some really good starting pitching out of Kyle Bradish making his big league debut. Six innings, three runs, two earned in his debut. Spencer Watkins, four and two-thirds innings of one-run ball. He continues a strong start to the season. And then Jordan Lyles, six innings of one-run ball yesterday. Uh, his first quality start with the Orioles. So the starting pitching was really good. The bullpen was good, with the exception of Travis Lakins again. Um... You know, and the hitting, unfortunately, didn't come around till till Sunday. And every time the Orioles start to hit, you feel like maybe they're about to break out of this season-long slump to start the year. But it's one out of every three or four games that the bats really come around, and that's been a serious issue. They just designated uh, Kelvin Gutierrez for assignment. Ryan McKenna uh, was optioned back to Norfolk yesterday after the game to get down to the 26-man roster they need to get down to by today. I guess the big news coming out of this weekend was D.L. Hall came back and he uh, made his debut for Aberdeen. He went four innings. He struck out six. The big number there, he didn't walk anybody. And everybody talked about his command issues. And he went out there and he just threw strikes. And he even said, and the, I love the confidence that came, out of, that came out of D.L. Hall. He said, I wanted to show everybody that I'm here and I'm coming. The guy has confidence in the, in the stuff to be at the big league level at this point. It's just getting the pitch count up, getting the innings up, and making sure that they don't have to shut him down at some point this season. But I expect him to move fairly quickly. And then Adley Rutschman, he went 4-5 for five on Saturday with two doubles, hit 429 in his brief stint at Aberdeen. Both of those guys are headed to Bowie, and if you're looking at the timeline, it looks like they're going to do six games in Bowie next week, six games in uh, Norfolk the following week, and then I should, we should see Adley Rutschman here the third week of May, which is exciting, a little bit ahead of schedule this some of those guys were 
uh, predicting. Somehow, Chris Owings has made it through um, the roster shrinkage, if you will. And uh, I don't understand how. Two for 15 with 11 strikeouts this year. But Brandon Hyde likes his veterans. He likes keeping them on the Well, he made it. So that's uh, good news for Mrs. Valley. I'm sure she appreciates that. Um, a couple of things in there. Look, the real the, the story for the Orioles this weekend was Braddish. That, that, that's the one, right? Individually, if you're wanting something. The fact that they won the game in this goofy walk-off error on Saturday. I mean, who... I mean, they have one hit it's through six innings. So, it's so silly. Like, that's baseball, and it's not like you, you don't take it. And I love the fact that the Red Sox stink. But the story, of course, was um, was Braddish on Friday night. It's one start, and so you gotta you have to take it with a grain of salt and, and see how it goes. But the big picture for the Orioles this season, whatever their record ends up being, the big picture is to the guys that we knew were getting here, and we'll allude to the guys that you just brought up, do they show you signs that they're ready? And does anyone else establish themselves as being part of this group moving forward that going into the year we didn't know with certainty could be? And Bruce Zimmerman has, has sort of highlighted that group so far. Bruce Zimmerman has been the headliner of the players that we felt a certain way about coming into the year that we might be changing our minds about whether or not they can be part of this thing moving forward. At the moment, Bruce Zimmerman has established himself as a guy that can be part of the solution moving forward. Now, again, it's still only a month. we got to settle down a little bit, but that's significant. Kyle Bradish, who we've all thought of as being the next of the pitching prospects, but there's a big difference between the first and the next – if he can continue to deliver quality starts at the major league level, at some point, he just becomes that guy. At some point, he's in this equation as well. And if both Bruce Zimmerman and Kyle Bradish can get through the year, this is a whole new ball game. If you have two guys that going into this season you didn't view that way, that you suddenly do, and nothing happens with Grayson Rodriguez that changes the way that we feel about him, you got yourself a stew, baby. Like, there's something there all of a sudden. It's not a guarantee. There's no, But it's we start talking about this in a different light. We start having different conversations about where the Orioles are if those things continue. Because John Means might still be a part of it in the future. You know, we, we, I think we got to start talking about... We don't know exactly what John Means is going to be whenever he comes back, but... John Means is still part of it, and D.L. Hall can be more of kind of a wild card here. If D.L. Hall is really D.L. Hall and has that unbelievable stuff that we know he has and, as you point out, continues to throw strikes, we've just listed five guys. And that's before you Speaking even... of which, I could go for a burger. Yeah? Am I, am I, I had not? one yesterday. First burger in a long time. It was, go, it was go pretty for a delicious. Burger. I had a steak last night. My wife and I had delayed a delayed celebration of her birthday. We uh we wanted to do something. We wanted to, the an adult get together, not no kids. Understood. My wife and I had a delayed, and we went to um, uh, we went to a steak place, and I had a lovely steak, lovely steak, some fingerling potatoes, and a lobster risotto as well. It was uh, nice. Yeah, it was nice until I got that check, got that check, and said, "Can we skip birthdays for a little while?" <laughs> We're not. You gonna and be able me both, this. brother. You and We're me not both. Not gonna be able to do this again. Um. Look, I, that is the story. And again, I, I, one start does not give us that answer in any way. But 
it's a whole lot better than one start being disastrous and you thinking you can't let him have another. It was a really good start against a very bad team. And, and you mentioned five guys, and we didn't even mention a guy who's dominating Bowie right now, and that's Ryan Watson. He's yet to give up. He's yet to give yeah. up a run in thirteen innings. He retired the first twenty-eight right. batters he faced this year. I'm not trying to be dis- utterly dismissive of it, but you know, I got to see. You got to see more. I got to see a lot more. Yeah. I got to see a lot more for someone we haven't scouted that way, mm-hmm. right? Like again, at some point, you change the way you scout him because he just keeps doing it. And the fact that he's doing it at Bowie, I think no, is I get a, it. It's is not a, nothing. Right? It's not. It's not single A. Like it's. I under. I'm not saying there's. It's impossible. or There's no way. I'm just not putting him in the conversation right. yet, which is understandable. But he he's he's doing his part. Um. Might be a guy we talked to this week. By the way, we should uh, include him on our list. Um, look, man, I, I, I like beating the Red Sox too. That's fun. It's always fun to beat the Red Sox. It was somehow even more enjoyable yesterday when they had to sit around for two hours in a cramped clubhouse only to turn around and just get their asses kicked. Mm-hmm. Like what a miserable day that had to be for the Red Sox and their fans that made the trip down. They're sitting around in the rain just to watch their team get the it's one thing when you live here and there's a two-hour rain delay you're like well just go home Mm -hmm. like there'll be another game these people that made the trip right that aren't from here or that only get to see their team even if they're from here and they're red sox fans they only get to see their team so often you're gonna gut out a two-hour rain delay because there's not going to be another red sox game in baltimore for a very long time they had to sit around in the rain for two hours just to watch their team get drubbed oh Oh, injected into my veins. It's so glorious. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, again, I mentioned it during my, my two minutes there, mm-hmm. that um, Ryan McKenna was sent back to Norfolk, and he was their fourth outfielder. So it makes you kind of wonder if they have plans to maybe m- make Mateo that fourth outfielder. It's, an, it's a fair question. Mancini right? like, can play you know. more outfield. It, it makes you wonder I, I, what the plan I is. I think that the what you just said there might really be the plan, which is if we need somebody, we've got somebody. Mm-hmm. Like there's somebody that we can throw out there to be our fourth outfielder as necessary. Um, you know, Tyler Nevin made a really great play, dive into his um, right first base, which playing right. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You sort of just. I don't know what to make of it, but I file it away. It was interesting to see that. Um, they, they've got options. They've got guys who are capable of playing out there. So I, 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 my gut tells me it's more just a we'll deal with it as necessary yeah. type of situation than anything else. It, it is nice to see them making moves to try to shore up their infield a little bit, bringing up Tyler Nevin, mm-hmm. maybe moving Mateo more to the outfield um, because his glove hasn't been great at, at – um, at shortstop, it, but, it, it, but it's not like their other options are very good either, right? You know? But but it, it, it's it's they're bringing up prospects, and it, it's kind of the start of things with Bradish and bringing and bringing up Nevin. It's kind well, of get the wheels in motion of bringing but, up the prospects. But Nevin's not a defensive infielder, you know no. what I mean? Like that that that's wherever <laughs> nobody on this team is. Really. That's but that's the issue, right? Like right. I hear what you're trying to say, but it's not like they're they're replacing these guys with other guys that are like, hey, these guys will solve the right. defensive problem. Like, but they're get they're getting a look. Right, they're getting a look at what they have to see what they I, need to do moving I, forward. I have no, I, mean, I have no issue with Tyler Nevin being here. I just right. Tyler Nevin's not going to be a. Yeah, he, he's, he's not, not going to be not Adrian here, Beltre. Right, he's not a glove. Yeah. <laughs> he's not the next Manny. It, it, his his path is as bad. It it ain't it ain't his glove. That's not the case. By the way, I guess Manny Machado would be the MVP of the first month of the baseball season. Yeah, he's he's having, having a himself nice a hell of a start. Having a nice little season. I love Manny. He's probably my favorite player in the game. 
Um, look, man, I, I've said a lot of things. It, watching Manny Machado play baseball has been an utter joy. I mean, just a complete and utter joy. Have there been missteps along the way? Plenty of them. Sure. There have been lots of missteps. But watching Manny Machado play the game of baseball is a is a delight. It's an absolute joy. There's no getting around that. From uh, Ryan. Ryan says, uh, Glenn, are you still, you say, okay. Glenn, are you still sure you want to sign someone like Jarvis Landry? You mentioned earlier you heard Ken Zalas say what he said about hurt wide receivers, and you said you agreed. So are you at this point where you're with him and you're just turning things over to these guys, or do you think that they need to sign a veteran? Well, I think they're going to add a veteran. Need? I don't know how you do I think they're going to add some sort of veteran. But not every veteran is made equal. I feel far more strongly about Jarvis Landry just as a player than I do about Julio Jones. <laughs> I, I, just because of the leg issues, it's man. it's so tough with Julio Jones, right? Because there is there's still when someone has been so good for such a long time, there is still a part of you that always says like, maybe what is, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. I mean, if Julio Jones is looking for like real money, then nobody's signing him for that. But if Julio Jones just wants to come play football and try to prove that he can still do it at this point, something along those lines. You get a shot to win. I'm you you can't get me to be this is where when when Ken says what he says about hurt wide receivers, I end up finding myself disagreeing. I don't think that signing Julio Jones can hurt you. Now what can hurt you is if you sign Julio Jones See that he can't do it and try to force it anyway because you signed him. That hurts you as a franchise. Mm-hmm. But if you sign him, bring him in, and he's just not, he can't do it any longer, then you got your answer. You move on, you go with the guys that you got. I, I can't shake the, I feel differently about Julio Jones than I do about Cole Beasley, for example. And somebody would say Cole Beasley was still very productive a year ago. He was just a head case. Like, I mean, I don't know what you make of that, but I'm not interested in a head case. So I'm out on Cole Beasley. I was trying to look at the list of free agent wide receivers that were still out there and try to separate guys because I I do think that not every late-in-the-game wide receiver is made equal. I will be – I'm interested in Jarvis Landry admitting he ain't replacing Hollywood Brown. They're completely different football players. Devin Duvernay might really be your best hope to replace what you got from Hollywood Brown – I just don't know how much I can trust that because I haven't seen it yet from Devin Duvernay. I want him to be that guy, and I think he has the skills that he could be that type of guy. Not necessarily at as downfield fast as Hollywood Brown is, but open field fast. Bigger and stronger, too. Um yeah, okay. You can probably break sure. more tackles, I would imagine. Uh, Ken's argument was against Will Fuller. I get that. I get that. Will Fuller's constantly hurt. I, you know, there's a price where I'd still listen on Will Fuller. Emmanuel Sanders is 35 years old. Nah, I don't think I'm interested in Emmanuel Sanders. He really fell off the second yeah, half I, of the year, I too. Think I'm, I think I'm going to pass on that. Keelan Cole, no. Alan Hearns, no. These are signing guys for the sake of signing guys. And I think... There's a few guys that might still have something to offer, and then there's a bunch of guys that that just don't, that it's it's just over for. So you want to sign somebody who still has something to offer? Like, I have no interest in signing Deshaun Jackson. None. There's less than zero. He's like 50. He's, he's uh, 35 to be exact. 
Okay, so he's younger than me, but he's like 50. But, I mean, I get it. That's the point. I'm not interested in signing a, a wide receiver in their mid-30s with maybe the exception of Julio Jones, who's 33. And even then, I, I got to know the circumstances by which you're doing it. If you're counting on it, if you're relying on it, you're banking on it, I don't like that either. But if you're doing it because it's a lottery ticket, you know, I'll, I'll listen. You don't have a lot to work with right now. There's, there's not a lot there. It's likely going to be a problem. Can it be solved by the guys you have? Perhaps. Hour number one of today's show, in the books. Today's show has also been brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience, technologically advanced connectivity, sporty performance, and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals and new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. We'll come back in. We will chat with Peter King. He was embedded in the Ravens draft room this weekend. That's next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com that first sip that first bite Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 1140. Fandle Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 1140 a.m. Brought to you by the Fandle Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com radio. Watch at YouTube.com PressBoxOnline. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number no. 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. 
We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. Just a couple more responses that I've gotten this morning from Cy. After talking to two completely different guys, I'm convinced that most Ravens fans are unaware of how far behind the rest of the NFL we are at the wide receiver position. I don't know if that's true, Cy. I mean, it, it might be. I don't know who you were chatting with this morning. Um, but, I, you know, some of I think some of the responses would be, hey, look, this is going to be a, a dominant, run-heavy offense. And so it, it doesn't make sense to invest at wide receiver so heavily. I think some people would say we've got – this Ken Zales brings up a lot. We've got to be – we finally have to give these guys they've drafted over the last couple of years a chance to sink or swim. We've got to figure out if those guys can be high-level players. They're, and they're all fair considerations, but yes, as far as judging the Ravens' wide receiver room against other teams in the NFL, there's no comparison. They are one of the bottom teams as far as what, we actually, what, what actually exists here, which doesn't mean that these young players can't prove to be better and doesn't mean that there isn't some truth to the idea that they're going to run the ball a billion times and they don't need to have as loaded of a wide receiver room. We, we think we like their tight end room quite a bit, too, as well. This man was in the Ravens draft room all weekend long. At, well, not all weekend. He was in on their Saturday for the fourth round where it felt like it was all weekend long because they had six picks in one round alone. And not surprising, he managed to check out a baseball game while he was in town. Uh, of course, you read his stuff at NBCSports.com and really must read it today. Football Morning in America. He is the great Peter King, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Peter, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's always good to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Hey, no problem. Happy to do it. Peter, can you give me an idea how this came about? Why did you want to spend the fourth round of the draft in the Ravens draft room? Um, well, I thought this was a different draft, sort of a weird draft, um, because there wasn't it was not a particularly top-heavy draft, although people do go insane for players at the top of every draft. First of all, there were no quarterbacks this year that were no doubt have-to-have guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think most people thought that the, the herd kind of thinned out pretty early on in this draft. But there was one difference in this draft, and that is that because in 2020, a lot of college players <clears throat> had abridged seasons and did not either did not play at all, did not play very much. Many players who might have come out in the 2021 draft, um, and I wrote about one of them, uh, Charlie Kolar, mm-hmm. uh, tight end from Iowa State, uh, he might have come out, but he decided to go back in for another year um, because of the circumstances in 2020. So all of these guys, you know, I think probably well over a hundred prospects who were in this draft, uh, were in the draft because they didn't come out in 2021. And it just made the middle class of this draft a lot better. That being said, um, you know, the Ravens for a long time had five uh, fourth-round picks, and then obviously in trading from 23 to 25 with Buffalo, uh, you know, in the first round on Thursday, that got them their uh, sixth fourth-round pick. And so I asked 
the Ravens a couple of months ago, um, I really thought it would be interesting to be in there. And so I uh, talked and, you know, had a, quite a few conversations and, and finally they said, yeah, you can do it. And so I did it. I sat in there for two hours, uh, a little bit before the fourth round started and then through the last pick of the fourth, got up, walked out. And, uh, that's what I saw. So, you know, it blows me away. We talk, Peter, we do this silly radio bit, this Would You Rather Wednesday game we play every week, which is, it's 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 earth-shattering. We take one scenario and another scenario, and we say, which one would you prefer? It's just, it's unbelievable the way we do it. We're, we're, we're really changing the game over here. Um, yeah. And one of the scenarios that we put out normally around this time involves, like, the idea that would you like to be in the Ravens draft room? And one of the things I always say is, I, I don't know if I would, because you'd never be able to say anything about it. And that's kind of what blew my mind about your piece today, is that they let you tell some stories, including the one that's getting all the attention about Calvin Austin, that they didn't say, hey, you can be in here, but we're going to guard what it is that we allow to come out. Like, they, there was a player they wanted, and they didn't get it, and they're not hiding from that. Well... I mean, in that particular case, if I wasn't going to be able to write that, then why am I, why am I in there? That's a very fair you point. Know? Yeah, it, it's just, it would be, you know, homogenized crapola if you can't write what actually happened in the room. Um, and so I think, I think that, obviously, that's the most interesting and sort of intriguing thing, that a pick number one, I mean, it's a really, it's a three-pronged story. At pick number 130, they take a punter, and everybody goes, wow, a punter. Hmm. In the middle of the fourth round, in this golden time for this draft. And so I'll tell you the story about the punter in a second. But then by taking the punter, instead of taking Calvin Austin at 130, the wide receiver from Memphis, they knew that they were risking somebody in the next nine picks to our next eight picks taking Calvin Austin before they picked at 139. So they were almost all the way through it. You could tell that there was real happiness in the room. For those who don't know, Calvin Austin is a guy who's a 4-3, I forget, 4-3-5-40 guy. Mm-hmm. He's the last really fast, accomplished receiver in the draft. The reason he lasted this long is that He's five foot seven. And even though he was durable at Memphis, people had a lot of questions about what he'd actually be able to do. But for the Ravens, if you want to play the guy 15 or 20 snaps a game, then, you know, that might be the best role for him, you know, as an outside receiver and, you know, a speed threat. Anyway, they thought that they had him. And at 138, there's a little speaker on the on the table in the Ravens draft room, and it connects them to uh, the uh, draft in Vegas. And they, you know, NFL Central is kind of telling them who's picked, you know, a minute before it's announced. And so they hear that Calvin Austin gets picked by the Steelers at 138. And they say Baltimore Ravens are on the clock. And so what, what was really, really interesting about that moment is that I hear that and a voice from inside the room just said, you've got to be effing kidding me. <laughs> and, you know, so there was disappointment. But I looked at DaCosta, Ozzie Newsom, and Harbaugh right then. 
And I looked at all three of them, and they were all like, I mean, reading a library book at the Randallstown Library. I, it, you know, they, it was just, there was no emotion, expressionless. Let's just move on. Uh, right away, they said, hey, what about Isaiah Likely? He's a guy who went to Coastal Carolina, was a combo platter, tight end, wide receiver. He's not fast, but he's really big playmaker, blah, blah, blah. So they start asking around the room, okay, we'll take Isaiah Likely. There was not any emotion when they lost him. And I knew at that time that there would be emotion on the outside, especially because it was the Steelers that pilfered Calvin Austin, yep. Austin right from under him. But, you know, I, when I was leaving, DaCosta walked outside and I shook hands. I said, thank you and, and all that. And, uh, I asked him about it, he just shrugged his shoulders, and he goes, that's a draft. <laughs> you, know, it's, it, you know, I saw one instance of it. They see it ten times every year. Sure, sure. And so it, it, they weren't, I mean, they would have rather had Austin, but they, they aren't really that upset about it because they understand. Can I give you one little X factor now on the punter at one I love you. I love that, Peter. Peter King is so, with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Yeah, so the punter became a really interesting pick because my whole thought, the natural thought was, well, geez, who's going to take a punter at 130 after out? But at 133, uh, Tampa Bay took the Georgia punter. Okay. And uh, I found out later that, um, that there, there was some information out there on the GM grapevine that Cincinnati at 137 and Tampa at 133 were both interested in punters. And that's one of the reasons that motivated the Ravens to take them where they took them. Now, I can't tell you what team it is, but this morning, about a couple of hours ago, a general manager sent me a text and he goes, I got chills reading about the Brandon Stout section in that column because we were going to take him. Hmm. And hmm. in fact, I was waiting for that pick to be taken. And I was going to text Eric DaCosta right then and tell him, Hey, let's work out a deal. I want your one thirty ninth pick. Uh, Cause he wanted to draft Brandon Stout. And he said, then they draft Brandon Stout at one thirty, And I say, Oh crap. And so he said, I never sent him the text. I never contacted him about it. So that is the kind of stuff that happens in the draft all the time that, you know, is cool to be able to witness and experience. But by the way, Peter King, this is, and, and I realize that I'm not doing what they do for a living. This is why, like, the entire draft week is going to be nothing but paranoia for me. <laughs> like, nothing but who is tipping someone else off to what it is that we're trying to do. Like, I would be, none of you are allowed to have your cell phones. None of you are allowed to have your computer. Like, I would be that guy. if I. It's probably why I could never do this for a living. You have to have trust of, you know, there's a lot of people in that draft room. And if you don't trust them, or if you think stuff is getting out, if stuff is leaking out, you got to cut it off at the head. And it impressed me that, I don't think they have that many people in there for the first two days, but for day three, the scouts come in and, uh, and there were more people in there than I thought uh, might be in there. But I think uh, DaCosta and Ozzy have to understand 
everybody in there are guy they're men and women who they can who they can trust. Peter, can I ask you a couple of just broader questions, if I could? Yeah. One being, we were talking about this early in the show. What, 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 the Ravens are getting unilaterally praised for this draft because they didn't panic. They they did what they always do, right? They take the best player available. They stay true to their board, and even if it's not a need, they end up coming away with Kyle Hamilton and David Ajabo and Tyler Linderbaum and you know these guys that are thought of as being top guys at each of their respective yeah. positions. I'm I'm so confused by how to measure what the Rams did in winning a Super Bowl because we've always accepted in Baltimore because it's what we're used to with the Ravens. The best player available is what you do. But the Rams kind of threw us all into upheaval and said the draft doesn't even matter. You know, like it, they took 2-2 Atwell in the second round. That was their only top 100 pick a year ago, and they won a Super Bowl. And, and I wonder if things are shifting at all within the NFL that the model of building year after year and always trying to be good and always trying to be competitive isn't any longer the best model for winning Super Bowls specifically. And I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm asking how I measure everything that I've seen. I think it's a great question. And I think uh, that the, the Los Angeles Rams showed that there's a different way to win the Super Bowl than the classic NFL architecture way, and good for them. It makes it more fun. Isn't it more fun when teams are wheeling and dealing and trading and, and all that stuff? And although I think it's really sad that A.J. Brown is no longer uh, a Tennessee Titan because he got drafted three years ago in the middle of the second round mm-hmm. to be a long-term answer for them, and he played fantastic. And the reward to Tennessee for that is getting conked over the head by what's happening elsewhere with in other teams with, with the, with the salary cap. And in the span of a few months, the price of a premium receiver has gone to, from 20 million to maybe 30 million, like in the matter of weeks. So there's a lot of teams that cannot adjust to that and don't have the cap flexibility to do that. And it caused them to lose a guy, but you know, it's almost like you shouldn't. It's it 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 makes sense to bemoan that and to basically say, "Man, this stinks." But what are you going to do? You got to exist in the environment that you live in. Mm-hmm. And so the Rams say, "Hey, listen, we're going to be picking." Everybody said, "But you got a half year out of Von Miller, and he cost you a second and a third round pick." Well, think of it this way. I think I'm right in saying that Von Miller uh, cost them the 64th and 96th picks in this draft. Okay. On the other hand, Von Miller made three plays in the Super Bowl yep. that were gigantic. I'm not saying that, oh, they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without Von Miller. They might not have. And, you know, so... Isn't that what every team is in business to do to win a Super Bowl? There, I went to the Rams party after their, after they won. I was there for about two hours on at one o'clock in the morning after the Super Bowl, and I got to tell you, they all had the attitude of less need. See, this proves that not necessarily that it's the best way to do it, but that it can mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You can dump your picks for players. And get Matthew Stafford and Jalen Ramsey and 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 Von Miller, 
and they can help you win. And then you got nothing in the draft other than developmental players like they take in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. So it's funny. I was about a month ago. I was texting with Les Snead, and he said, "Remember, we still got eight picks, and it's just when the picks come." Right. And so, anyway, I there's no one answer to how to build a team, but the Rams have proven you can win a Super Bowl building a team unconventionally. And, and Peter, I just before I let you go, because it's you know it's all we're talking about in Baltimore. We're, we still have this Lamar Jackson thing kind of looming, and. You know, now, who knows what to make of, of what he was tweeting about with the Hollywood Brown thing. I, I, I does not, it doesn't make no, any sense because he knew about it. I don't know why he was tweeting the way he, It's very strange. But what do you make of it? This is unprecedented. I don't think it's that big a deal. Okay. I just don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know why he tweeted WTF. Right. I, I don't know why. Because... I, this is just me from the outside. I've not talked to Lamar Jackson, not talked to Hollywood Brown. I don't know. But I will just say this. They're good friends. Right. It would shock me, shock me, if they have not had multiple conversations about how miserable Hollywood Brown was in this offense. I mean, of course, you're, he's the quarterback. You're the receiver. You're very good friends. So, how in the world would Lamar not know that he wants out and he wants to go to a place where he can be the deep threat that he was drafted to be? So, I can't. I don't know why Lamar is is doing that. I and I I don't know, but I would not think it's a really big deal personally. I, I wouldn't because honestly, wouldn't you want the best for your friends? Uh, sure, Wouldn't you want right. him to be able to go to a place where he was going to be happier? And again, look, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you that he's down in the mouth or or mope. I, I, I don't know. But apparently, he was quite unhappy, judging by his remarks when he got to Arizona. So, if we do know all of that, I can't answer why Lamar would do that. But in my opinion, look. When I first started covering the NFL in 1984, I covered the Cincinnati Bengals. And in the offseason, I covered other things. Mm-hmm. I wrote college mm-hmm. basketball. I was not a 365-day <laughs> right. right. beat guy covering the NFL. And right now, you've got 94 people every market who cover the team every day. That's a great point. 24-7. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't be suspicious or raise an eyebrow about this. But in my opinion, I just think this is going to go away. Do you believe that something's going to get done? Like it's just so it's such a weird thing to be hanging over. The Ravens want to pay the guy. But in it. but uh, but but what are here? Here's the question for everybody who said, "Oh my God, he hasn't signed his counter, hasn't done this." Right. Here's my question: Is Lamar Jackson going to play quarterback for the Ravens in 2022? I don't, yes. I, yes. And so and so what? I mean, it's good to care because you want to get that headache out of the way. But, and I don't know why he, he apparently is not aggressively trying to get it done. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but I will only say, I just am not that curious and not that interested about salaries and about what player is making X, Y, or Z. And I know it's big stories. I get it, but I'm more concerned with 
who's the quarterback of the Ravens in week one? It's Lamar Jackson. And if he was really upset and if he was angry about this, he'd be pounding on DaCosta's door, or telling Harbaugh he's unhappy. or what. That apparently is not happening. So let's just let the contract happen when it happens and watch Lamar Jackson quarterback the Ravens this year. At Peter underscore King is how you follow him on Twitter. If you have not read this, his being embedded in the Ravens draft room, you need to go right now to NBCSports.com and do it. Peter, is there anything else we can plug for you, sir? Not at all. I've been very happy with your various pluggings. I appreciate you taking the time for us, as (laughs) always, my friend. Glad you enjoyed your time in Baltimore. Let's chat again at some point, all right? Will do. Peter King checking in with us here on GCR. Fascinating stuff from inside. If I, I swear, I could not believe how much they were willing to let him share. I mean, you just don't see that. You don't see that at all. Um, teams like to stay guarded and to let it be known, you know, because now this is the way it's going to go. For years, we're going to watch Calvin Austin. And if Calvin Austin becomes a thing in Pittsburgh, we're going to spend years discussing the fact that the, the Ravens wanted him. And they took a punter instead. So they've they've allowed that spotlight to be shown on themselves. So credit to them for that. Let's continue talking about what the Ravens did in the NFL draft. Our next guest, of course, one of the most popular media personalities in recent, maybe frankly in sports media history. Uh, he's a Notre Dame guy, so I'm, I'm hoping he might have a thing or two to say about Kyle Hamilton. He's now with DraftKings and... Of course, you you see him with the Lebetard crew all the time. He is the great Mike Golick, and he's with us now here on GCR. Mike, it's Glenn and Paul. It's always great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Except this Kyle Hamilton kid from Notre Dame. I don't know anything. You about don't know anything about this guy. You've uh, never no. nothing you can share about him whatsoever. Holy nothing. Smokes! I wasn't even sure who he was when you guys drafted <laughs> him. I had to look him up. <laughs> hey, Mike. Look, you know we're in this place where we're we're conditioned to believe the Ravens are going to draft well, right? And it seems like every time there is a draft, you immediately the national media says. Ah, look at how well the Ravens did. Almost to the point where here we become skeptical about it, right? Like, well, you say that every year that the Ravens drafted well, so can we believe you? Um, what do you make of them landing Kyle Hamilton where they did? What do we need to know about what makes this young man so special? Well, I mean, listen, you got more than a few really good draft picks, and you have had good drafts. Let me let me go on the overview first. But the bottom line is, your draft relates to then how well you do. You know, you have a team that uh, that doesn't get far in the playoffs when they get to the playoffs, so there's a sticking point there. So you can say, you know, you can get an A in your draft grade, but you'd rather have a Super Bowl mm-hmm. or be shooting for a Super Bowl. And I think you have the talent to do it, and it's usually what, what can hold you back. You know, you get Lamar gets nicked up, you know, 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. You need him healthy. Hopefully, uh, Ryan Stanley can come back on the O-line. So while you can do well in the offseason a lot of times, you know, not a lot of times, you're not. You're not winning Super Bowls in the offseason. You're bettering your team, but you need the payoff. So with Kyle Hamilton, I mean, what you're getting, you're getting, what, a 6'4", 215, 220-pound safety who, what, what the big thing now in the NFL is versatility, whether it's the Debo Samuel and Cordell Pattersons of the world who are running back slash wide, the slashies, running back wide receiver, you get that safety like a Derwin James a couple of years ago that can play down in the box like a backer, can play in the slot, can play up up top. That's what Kyle can do. You know, it, it, it's funny to me that 
Kyle gets the, the rating and whatever you want to think of ratings. But then you run a four five forty, and all of a sudden everybody's well, oh, oh, right. hold it now. Right. I mean, it's the stupidest thing in the world. Watch the man on film and see what kind of game speed he has. Not a straight ahead forty that you'll rarely ever run ever again in uh, on a football field. So that always kind of blows my mind a little bit. But you're getting such a versatile, smart football player that's really, really going to help the defense. Uh, it really blows my mind because cover, linebackers covering tight ends has been a nightmare for the Ravens. As good as C.J. Mosley was as an inside linebacker, even some of the things we saw at the will spot from Patrick Queen a year ago, the Ravens have drastically struggled to find a linebacker who can cover these tight ends. And to me, that's that's the biggest thing about this pick that jumps off the page at me, Mike, is that that really is a need that the Ravens, as much as we talk about them not going prioritizing best player over need, this has been a need for some time because they've been eaten alive by tight ends over the years because they haven't been able to find a linebacker. Well, this guy... He's not a linebacker, but he's plenty capable of doing that, right? You certainly think that Baltimore would have enough practice in practice covering tight ends. It's like tight end you. That's a great point. You know? yeah. uh, anyway, that they, would, that they would get the practice doing it. But, uh, yeah, listen, that's, this has become a thing in the NFL. Again, that's another position where these tight ends are like wide receivers. They're attached to a tackle. They're in a slot, or they're out wide like a wide receiver. So they put pressure on a defense of, who, okay, who's going to cover me? Who are you putting on me? And as soon as you see that, you say, okay, is that a mismatch? Do I go right at it? Or is it going to help me somewhere else on the field? So it, it is that, it, again, I talk about versatility. While we see it on offense, you need to see it on defense. You need to have that guy that can play multiple positions that helps you out so you're not outmanned at certain times in your coverage where right away a quarterback can say, okay, mismatch there, or boy, this helped me over on this side of the ball. You know, and that, that's certainly something Kyle Hamilton can bring. Mike Golick is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Mike, what have you made of the Ravens strategy as a whole? And this will, will maybe dovetail into the conversation of what they didn't do and, and needs and all that stuff. But they have clearly prioritized secondary, right? Like, it's been years now where they have loaded up at cornerback and safety. And, you know, the football analytics say that's the way to build a good defense. But then we watch these big games, and when the game is on the line, it really still feels like you need to get a play made up front. And whether that's Von Miller doing it for the Rams at the end of the year, we saw it from Adafi Owe as a rookie against the Chiefs a season ago when they needed to make one play it had to come from up front. What do you make of the strategy of building from well, outside in? Well, I mean, you look at both both of those. The D line can help the secondary, right? The secondary can help the D line. Yeah, you, know, you cover better. You give your D line more time to pressure. You pressure quick. Your your DBs don't have to cover as long. What did you have last year? Nine interceptions and thirty four sacks. I think. I mean, that, that that ain't getting it done. Not that everything has to be a sack or an interception because mm -hmm. you can get a defended pass, right. you can get a pressure, right. you get the quarterback running. So I'm not putting everything on, and I hope I got those numbers right. I think I, I'm double checking. You're, it's very close. Those numbers sound right, but I, you know, well, I, let me just say, let me just say they weren't great. Let's put yep. it that way. Yep. Uh, whether those numbers are, are good or not, they, they, they aren't great. So that you know, that's where it needs to pick up. You need that. You you know your trouble spots, and you need to pick them up. Ajabo, I mean, the kid from Michigan, let's see. I mean, we're probably going to be in the red you know, It's just a damn shame to blow your Achilles out in pro day, but let's see down the road, you know, what he can do. But, I mean, I get it. I mean, you look at the at the paid positions now in the NFL. It's quarterback, it's left tackle, it's edge rusher, and it's cornerback. Now, throw into that play, it's wide receiver. 
you know, that's becoming the spot where mom and dad at an early age, you know, tell is going to tell their coach, you know, because all parents talk to their, their, their little league coaches. I don't want my kid playing running back. I want him playing wide receiver. Put him in the slot or put him at receiver uh, because that that's where the money's going to be because every parent thinks their 10-year-old is going to be in the NFL. But that that's, uh, a kid is not going to want to play running back anymore. They're going to want to play receiver after seeing what went on at the receiver so you can start to throw them in that position as well. But it puts more pressure than on the defense again, your corners, your safeties, you know, and how you're going to cover your backers. That's why backers are getting a little smaller mm-hmm. in the NFL, a little quicker so they can help in coverage. Let me let me go back to this. By the way, your numbers were dead on, Mike. You nailed it. Those were. I, it's almost like you do this for a living because you got both <laughs> of those numbers accurate. So well done, sir. I, I, I want to go back to the, the the sort of the philosophy that you were talking about because th- this inherently is kind of where I'm struggling. I, Mike, like everybody else, I think the Ravens did exceptionally well in this draft. Yeah. Especially those first four picks. I, it's. I think they did incredibly well. But what I'm struggling with now is, but did they separate themselves at all in terms of trying to win the AFC North this year, which is suddenly a loaded division, and then the AFC on the whole, which is bat as insane how good this conference appears to set up and how tough it's going to be to get through and try to win a Super Bowl. And, and that's the measurement that I struggle more with. Not to say that I think you should abandon all of your philosophies and do things differently, but the Rams aren't even drafting players and they won a Super Bowl a year ago, right? Like, I, I don't know what the best way is to go about winning a Super Bowl at this point. So how do I measure thinking that a team drafted well versus not knowing if they improve their chances necessarily of winning a Super Bowl within that draft? Listen, there's no way of knowing what works best. What works best is what works for you. You know, I mean, there, there was a time, you know, when I was playing when, when Jimmy Johnson was taking this Cowboys to the Super Bowl and they were hitting during the week. You know, so every coach was like, okay, this is the way you do it. The 49ers would win Super Bowls and not hit during the week and everybody said, okay, that's how you do it. You do what works for you, you know, but it can be a copycat league a bit as well. So you, you, think, you believe you have holes to fill, like certainly an easy hole, you lose your center, you bring in... Uh, Linderbaum, who I covered, is just an incredible player. So, you know, you fill the hole. You know, you bring in a tackle in Morgan Moses, but you want Stan to make sure that he can come back. Mm-hmm. So you, you fill a hole. With Kyle Hamil- Hamilton, you fill that versatility role as well. You have a quarterback that can make plays, but he got a little nicked up, and that's the worry of a quarterback that can move. And he had, what, 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That's not the ratio that's going to get you where you want to be, even though you're a top three, top five rushing team because of your quarterback. You still got to have that passing game. So it worked for the Rams. Listen, everybody was talking about if they didn't win the Super Bowl, how bad it would be that they blew it, you know, when they made all those moves. And you're one first down away sure. from Cincinnati being in field goal range to tie it up to send it in overtime. Now, one of your great players in Aaron Donald makes a play, and you, you, you cap it off. So everything is worth it. Um, so it, it's hard to say which way works. All you can do and the Ravens have done it well. Like I said, with drafting, is fill the holes where you think you have the needs. But until it pays off to a Super Bowl, offseason great, regular season, eh, you know, I mean, you'd rather flip it around. You'd rather come in and say, man, what an awful draft. All of a sudden, Baltimore's in the Super Bowl. Right. That's all that matters. Right. I mean, that's all that matters is getting to the big game. And that's, and that's what I keep struggling with. Mike, how, is, how will one of these AFC teams, is it just going to come down to who stays the healthiest? Like, it's just so insane looking at this conference and how there are five, eight, 
10 teams that you look at and yeah. say they have a legitimate chance. Yeah, where, where Baltimore struggles in this area is you look in, you look at the AFC and you look at the top teams and you look at they can score points. That's where it's gone is teams are looking to score a lot of points. And you can have a great defense to try and slow that down. And so if Baltimore, would, I think Baltimore averaged 22 points a game last mm-hmm. year when the top teams are averaging in the low 30s. You've got to be able to score with this team, these teams. So if they jump out on you, you've got to have the ability to come back. And that that's, can be a thought with Baltimore. Do they have that ability without necessarily a great passing game when you're relying on your tight end, which he's a great tight end, but where's that big play? You know, uh, you know, your first rounder last year, I mean, the pressure on him now, you know, now that the Hollywood's gone, you know, to now step up and be the guy. You pick up a couple of more tight ends. Like I said, Kohler, who I covered, uh, big, big kid out of Iowa State and likely who had 12 touchdowns from Coastal Carolina. Maybe he's a red zone guy. But where's the big play hit? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where all the other teams you could talk about, you could look at a big play hit that they can get. Does Baltimore have that? Can they stay with the team who scores because mm-hmm. it's an offensive league right now. That, that's the way it's all built right now. So you, you, got, you can slow down an offense. It's tough to stop an offense. And is Baltimore in position to score with these teams yet? It's a, it's a really good question. And again, are they going to go back to, to what they did in 2019 where they're just going to try to run, 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 run and protect yep. possession? And, and, and that worked in 2019, but not to win a Super Bowl. And do we know that it can work to win a Super Bowl? And I, I don't know the answer well, to that question. You know, it, it, it worked for Tennessee as well, right? Right. You have the leading rusher right. in uh, Derrick Henry, but it, it gets you so far. And then you can't get over that, that last hump to get there. Because it's great to say we made it to the second round. We made it to the AFC or NFC championship game. We made it to the Super Bowl. But you want to get the payoff. you got to take that next step. And Tennessee was never able to do that with just a running game. It's tough to do with just a running game. You have got to have at least an above-average passing game to go along if you have a great running game. If you don't have a great running game, you better have a hell of a passing game that's going to get you somewhere. Mike, would you be you know, we talk about the receiver. Would you be aggressive in trying to, you know, like call back to San Francisco, say, hey, guys, are you sure you don't want to trade Debo Samuel? Like, would you be hell-bent well, on saying we got, we've got to do this or – do you well, kind of I mean, have what you have? Anything, they didn't do anything off season, right? I mean, look at all the receivers that were out there. No, no move, doubt. Look what, look what, look what. And and they knew they were trading. And they knew they were trading Hollywood Brown, and they didn't do that. Well, exactly. And, right. and then look what Philly then does on draft day, getting AJ Brown. I mean, from Tennessee. So there were wide receivers to be had, but then you had to pay them. So that that had to happen. And you know you've got to pay Lamar at some point as well. So I don't know how that factored in because you had a team in Tennessee that didn't want to trade Brown, so they traded him. You had a team in Kansas City that didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill as much as he wanted, so they trade him away. So you either have teams that will pay that amount or you trade your guys away. Now, Hollywood isn't in that category, but they need help at tight end. They, they or I'm sorry, at wide receiver. And there was an offseason that had more than a few of them out there, and they didn't. I don't know if they tried that. I do not know. Maybe they did, but obviously they didn't get any of them if they did, so they, they were out-aggressive by somebody else. And it feels like they're willing to try to let their young players have a chance, and we'll see, right? Like, I mean, it could end up being the conversation we have at the end of the year that, that sank them, was that they weren't more aggressive at wide receiver. Um, Mike, just if I could, Mike Golick for another minute or two here on Glenn Clark Radio. Uh, the team whose reality you think changed the most over the last couple of days was who? Well, I think, I think the Jets did a really good job. Uh, and, and we see bad teams turn good. They can do it quickly. 
Um, now, again, to rely all that on, on, on rookies coming in uh, is tough to do, but, but and maybe just not for next year, but they, they set themselves up in a pretty nice position. So I really like what they did. Uh, I think Atlanta had a nice draft as well. Now they're going to have to settle in on a quarterback. It'd be interesting. I think Desmond Ritter could have a shot yeah. over Marcus Mariota there, but getting Drake London in that first round, I think we've seen rookie tight ends come in and help um, more. I mean, rookie wide receivers come in and help more and more um, over over the years. But I, the, the Jets, again, though, it's one of those things where they had a great draft and everybody is applauding them, but you talk to a Jet fan and they're almost like, skittish about it don't tell us how great we did because we know how this ends up but i mean eventually bad teams that pick high all the time jacksonville detroit the jets you would think they have to get better and if they don't that's on the that's on the, the process of offseason free agency and draft that's not getting done well or players aren't being developed well so you know the jets i think had a monster draft so let's see how they can uh, they can eventually develop and it that. seems like it's all going to come down to your quarterback right like do you yeah yeah you know, it does right and, and listen we're one year in on that guy so we just gotta wait and see no 100 percent. hey one year and we didn't know that josh allen was going to be josh allen clearly right exactly. <laughs> like all yep. of a sudden stefan Diggs shows up and oh look at this guy now <laughs> he's the yep. best quarterback yep. in football Mike, uh, what can I plug for? Obviously, you know you're you're, you're with DraftKings now, and I know you're doing the show with um, uh, with Smets. Give me give me the whole rundown for yeah, where, where we do, find uh, you. Uh, with, with with Stu Gotts and, and Levitard and them, I do uh, God Bless Football. We do that every week uh, for them, and then our family. We have a Sorry in Advance, the Goldwood Family podcast. We put that out there as well. It's just. Uh, the more I listen to it, the more our family is a bit of a mess. But, you know, my <laughs> daughter just got married, so we talk a lot about, you know, different things going on. I, in the sports world a little bit, but in our world, we have fun with that. And then, yeah, Golik and Smeddy with uh, DraftKings uh, as well. So, you know, living in that podcast world, that's where we are in today's world. And uh, and enjoying that, I'll still do uh, NFL games probably for Westwood One yep. and probably some other TV as well. But, uh, you know, just dabbling in it now, just uh, not retired, but certainly not doing the everyday thing just that much anymore well you know what I, I you say that about your family being a mess you, you've done quite well sir i mean like, yeah. you've, you've done quite all right I, I hope that if my family's a mess they're a mess the way that yours is uh i hope we're my a fun kids. mess we're a fun mess. exactly right i hope that's the case at golick on twitter is how you follow and mike golick always appreciate taking the time my friend thanks for doing this this morning you got it no problem mike golick checking in with us here on gcr I feel like I'm talking in circles, right? Because I, I can't give you definitive answers. I'm asking questions almost for the sake of asking questions, but I want to get different opinions. And what I'm getting back from intelligent people is, you're right. Like, we can't prove that this is still the best way to go about winning a Super Bowl. And, and that's the inherent struggle of talking about the draft. You're not, you'll never get me to give a draft grade again. That will never happen. I realized very early on in my career, my God, this is an insane waste of time. But the bigger problem now is I, I, even if I think the team did well in drafting, you don't throw parades for drafting well. Which doesn't mean I don't want you to do it. It doesn't mean I want you to say the hell with the draft. I don't think I want the Ravens to become the Rams. I don't think they could become the Rams. But we got to acknowledge there's one thing you throw a parade for, and that's winning a Super Bowl. So how do I measure these two things? It's not as easy as saying, I like Kyle Hamilton, and I like Tyler Linderbaum, and I like Travis Jones, and I like, I think David Ajabo 
My God, we've been talking about David Ajabo for five months, and I kept saying, I feel like a dope because I'm just saying this guy knows how to make him work. Maybe you should get that guy. But as dumb as it sounded, as it turns out, it was the exact thing that they were thinking. Which either proves that they're dumb or I'm not as dumb. I don't know which one. It's Glenn the Swami Clark. I don't, I mean, I don't know. But I don't, I just no longer know as much as we have been indoctrinated to believe that the Ravens' way of drafting is the best way of drafting, and as much as I feel today like they did a good job of drafting, I can't say definitively that leads them to winning a Super Bowl. I can't tell you that Jermaine Johnson would have either. Let me make that abundantly clear. I can't tell you that if they had one of these stud-wide receivers and they lost Hollywood Brown, they would have. But I think in looking at their roster in a more complete 10,000-feet way we would feel better about their chances of winning a Super Bowl than we do with kind of some of these glaring holes. And I get it. They're not just thinking about winning the Super Bowl this year. They're thinking about winning the Super Bowl the year after that and the year after that and the year after That's what the Ravens do. Put yourself in position. Let the chips fall the way they may. You might not have the best team. I think most of us would argue that the the Ravens' Super Bowl title teams are not the best 53-man rosters they've ever had. I, I, don't, I, I think we would, we would definitely argue that like the 06 team, I, I think that's the best team the Ravens have ever had is the 06 team. I'd agree with that. I think. 2011 team was pretty stacked, too. Yeah, you're right. The 2011 team was quite stacked. It was even more so stacked than the 2020, the 2012 team. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you want to say that they added in Torrey Smith, they added in Jimmy Smith, and and those players are really good. But like, you know, were they that? Eh, it, I, it'd be tough for me to think. I'd have to really measure those two teams and figure out which one I think was better. Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, John from Little Rock. There's way more data. Um, on the effect of the draft and a team's success versus the Rams model. We need more data to know if the Rams strategy is more successful than historical convention. And maybe the Rams, it's a drastic comparison, right, John? Like, maybe what I'm saying, I'm I'm even going too far by making it the Rams because the Rams literally aren't picking any players at all. I'm talking about just generically planning for every year versus planning for one year. That's that's the more defined way of having this conversation. Do you do you try to set yourself up for your team to always be good or do you only think about this year and every other year be damned? We'll worry about that then. That's a problem for down the road. There's too many things that can fall apart or change between now and next year for us to concern ourselves with 20... If the Ravens are thinking about 2023, and they have to be if you use a second-round pick on David Ajabo, we've got to be honest about that. Maybe he can play this year, but you're thinking about 2023. Is there too much that can happen between now and 2023 for you to bother yourself with that? If we get to the end of the year and Lamar Jackson says, the hell with this, I want out. It's, it's $70 million a year I want you to trade me, and I'm not suggesting that's what he's going to do, then were you crazy for drafting David Ajabo when in 2023 you might have to have Paul play quarterback? I'm ready. 
I had a bad feeling that I you're, you're actually to, not. I, hey, I threw five innings yesterday. I figured out how to get mm-hmm. my, my shoulder tightness to go mm-hmm. away. I, I think I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm going to say no still. I'm just going to go ahead and say no. Who doesn't want a 37-year-old quarterback? I know. It's, it's, there's a moment we've all been waiting for. I mean, Tom Brady did it. Tom Brady did it much. It's seven years beyond that. I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure. And it's why I, I say it's why what I wrote at pressboxonline.com today was written the way it was. It's why I can I think they did a really good job again with the picks that matter. I have no idea what these fourth round picks are going to end up being. I hope Peter King's right. I hope the people whose opinions are these fourth round picks are more like third round picks in another year because of the COVID situation. I hope they're all right. I hope the Ravens found eight great players in this draft. I hope that's the case. And I think they did well. But I just no longer know how to measure it. I don't know. In part because of escalating quarterback contracts. Now we see escalating wide receiver contracts. I don't know if you aren't better just saying the hell with it. We're going all in for one year. Revisiting at the end of that year, seeing where you are roster-wise, and saying we'll go all in for next year too. And allowing the teams that don't go all in for one year to be... The, the inequity here. Say, look, we can, we can take advantage of teams that are constantly trying to be good, and we're going to be good in a different way. Everybody's trying to constantly be good. We're going to be good in a different way. And if that comes to roost at some point, the hell with it. It comes to roost. The last two Super Bowl champions were teams that went all in for one year. Now, the Buccaneers had drafted well to set up the roster that Tom Brady came to they had drafted Mike Evans he was their own they had drafted Tristan Wirfs they had drafted well in order to have there be a nucleus that made it more appealing for Tom Brady and for Rob Gronkowski and roll my eyes Antonio Brown So it was kind of a combination of both and the Rams drafted Aaron Donald let's be fair about that like that was their draft pick now that was a rarity. Most of their rod, and they drafted Cooper Cup. I, you know, let's go back to that too. They also drafted Cooper Cup. Two of the most critical players on their roster were their own draft picks. I, I'm not saying you don't draft or you don't ever draft or you don't ever draft well, but maybe it's you draft a nucleus and then at some point you say, okay, the priority is no longer the draft, or it's no longer drafting best player available. It's filling out a roster. I don't know. Don't have these answers. Today's show also brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Spring seasonal menus available at Glory Days Grill right now. And it includes the opener, the flash-fried pork belly with the Korean number two sauce. It also includes the baseball cut sirloin. It also includes the strawberry salmon salad as well. The Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle ice cream and Cracker Jacks. Get to your neighborhood Glory Days Grill Get your order in at glorydaysgrill.com. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. We'll come back in. Some final thoughts. Uh, Jeremy Conner, the, the, he's sick today, apparently. He's sick. I got some questions about that. Maybe did he? I guess he, he probably didn't do his own show today. And if you don't do your own show, it's sort of like when you when you would skip school when you were a kid, but you wanted to go to the after after school activity, and your mom mm-hmm. was like, uh, no, if you were too sick to go to school, then you're too sick to play baseball. And you're like, right, but I, I, I want to play baseball. I didn't want to go to school. Right. I, it might be the similar situation with Jeremy Kahn where, like, if he skipped his own show, his mom was like, well, you can't call into Glenn's show. 
He's a sneaky guy. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is, but um, we, we'll either talk to Jeremy another day or we'll just talk to him next Monday. That's totally fine. It is Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org the biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common you've heard them on jobbing out matt and nick jackson the young bucks thanks for having us man appreciate it the great kurt angle thanks for having me on the show i appreciate it matt riddle yeah man thanks man. the champ drew mcintyre oh, thank you for having me the great ron simmons Damn. keith lee appreciate you guys having me man bill goldberg my pleasure charlotte thank you so much for having me mick foley is with us this is the greatest name for a wrestling show i I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com stay tuned your chance to win a million dollars is coming up probably not from us you're listening to glenn clark radio don't forget simply the bets returns tomorrow morning 11 40 a.m we will discuss the playoffs the uh, stanley cup playoffs get underway tonight the capitals taking on the panthers this week i believe there was some controversy next week related to a journey concert in dc and so scheduling became difficult i don't know i don't follow this you just cancel the journey concert i mean steve perry's not there so um I don't well, except the 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 the, the, the Filipino guy is, is quite good, isn't yeah. he? He's very good. Um, I don't. It's not for me. I don't care about it at all. So it's not not a conversation for me to have. Um, we'll talk about that. Obviously, the NBA playoffs and more. I think Canelo Alvarez fights this weekend, so a lot to cover 
on Simply the Bets tomorrow morning, 1140, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. A couple of things. Um, Jeff Zrebeck was in our uh, mentions because he had retweeted something that Peter King said on our show, and um, Ravens fans kind of responded to that, and then it, it went in a different way. It was very weird, but but one of the things that I saw is that someone asked Jeff, and this ended up again in our mentions, Hey, Jeff, sorry to switch topics, but do you know if there's any truth to Chuck Clark being on the trade block and that it could possibly be for a wide receiver? To which Jeff Zrebeck says, I think they would absolutely deal him if they got a suitable offer, but it doesn't really create any cap space, so to me it has to be a football deal, and by that I mean getting something useful in return. Which sounds like he's saying that there would be logic in trying to use Chuck Clark in a deal in order to land a wide receiver. The question becomes, is there a team that has a wide receiver that would want Chuck Clark? Now, if the answer is, hey, and trying to pull off one of these types of deals, let's let's take Debo Samuel out of the equation because I just think he's a different type of animal. But if the Seahawks really are considering trading DK Metcalf, would they be willing to talk about a pick and a Chuck Clark? Well, no. I don't know. I don't know if they value Chuck Clark. Um, Chuck Clark's not going to be a prize that's going to land you. You're not going to swap Chuck Clark for a top-notch wide receiver, one for one. It, it it won't work that way. He's a nice player, but he's just not. That's not who he is in this league. But could he be the difference in why you don't have to give up a first-round pick in the future and you can get something for? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I, I couldn't tell you. I I still find it unlikely, because I always find it unlikely, the Ravens are going to be the team that swings for a big-name wide receiver. I find it unlikely the Ravens are going to be the team that swings for a big-name much of anything in a trade. It's just not something that they've done a lot over the years. They've done it every now and then, but I kind of always work under the assumption that it's not going to be them until it is. Until suddenly I'm on the phone with Anquan Bolden as he's being traded to Baltimore, and I'm like, what the F? What is going on here? This makes no sense. So, I, I, I think the most likely scenario is they're going to add some sort of veteran, one that I will likely roll my eyes at at least a bit, and then they're going to say, and now we got a group of young receivers, and they're going to go get them, and that's what this group is going to be. And it's going to be sink or swim. Either those guys are going to prove that they were ready for the moment, or... This is going to be something that we're going to discuss a year from now and say, boy, did they really screw up not prioritizing wide receiver in the offseason when they knew they were trading Hollywood Brown. That's just my gut on how that all ends up playing out. From, from Dave. Dave says... Sorry. Dave says, Glenn, as far as your question about whether or not you're still best building through the draft, I think it's a fair question, albeit one that I think we're never going to get to a point where you're better not building through the draft at all. That being said, I understand the theory, and I too don't feel like right now the Ravens are one of the three or even four top teams in the AFC. What could change that? Well, development, of course, could, and as you pointed out, health. And it might ultimately be that that's the way the Ravens view things, is that they can't go all in on being the best team in the AFC, just instead trying to be good and hoping for the best. Yeah, I mean, that's Dave, I think that's the best way to say it, frankly. 
that, that might very well be their philosophy. We can't worry about whether or not we have the best versus the third best roster on the whole or whatever it is that we're going to say. We're just going to try to be a really good football team. And if that's the case, then luck might ultimately end up being what makes the difference. It was really bad luck a year ago. Insanely bad luck a year ago. If they could be the team that gets good luck, they stay a bit healthier. David Ajabo is ready to play sooner than people thought. Ronnie Stanley's Ronnie Stanley again. Someone else, one of these wide receivers, establishes themselves as being a guy. Yeah, you could find all of this sort of falling together in order to make it work. I mean, yes, that could happen. It could. I mean, I 100%. I think you're right. All right, let's wind down for a Monday edition of the program. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by this print issue of Pressbox, which is available right now. Your neighborhood Royal Farms. They have the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. So read it all, pressboxonline.com. Luke Jackson with a great cover story about Adley Rutschman, who will be here soon. Again, go read that right now, pressboxonline.com. All right, so it is baseball season, so it's another Orioles tidbit for you. Uh, the Orioles, despite winning three of their last five series, um, their offense is still shaky at best. They've really been led by their pitching staff. The Orioles' team batting average of 219 is eighth worst in the in all the major leagues. Their OPS is fifth worst. They still have the second least amount of home runs in the league with 11. And it got me looking at a stat. Uh, Mike Trout, who missed the majority of last year. People kind of forget that this was the best player in the world, and he basically still is. Right now, his 1247 OPS leads all of Major League Baseball by a good bit. And it got me looking into his career stats, and his his uh, career OPS is 1,005. He is the only active player with an OPS above 1,000. And there are only five active players in all of baseball with an OPS above 900 for their career. Who are those five players? Five active players with an OPS of over 1,000 for their career. Mm-hmm. No, 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 over 900. Over 900, Over sorry. 900, just to show how impressive what Mike Trout is oh, doing. Yeah. I mean, it's it. insane what Mike Trout is doing. Five active players with that OPS. Uh, Mookie Betts. No. Okay. Um, oh, boy. If it's not Mookie Betts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nolan Arenado. No. Um, uh, am I going the wrong? Like, is Miguel Cabrera still somehow over 900 at this point? He's at 918. Yeah, that's remarkable. I I would have thought the last couple of years that would have slipped below. And you are on the right track with a Miguel Cabrera type. So pick. it's guys like. Joey Votto. Joey Votto, number one, b- number two behind Bryce, uh, behind not Bryce Harper, behind um, yeah, Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Nine thirty-one. Uh, I don't. Is Albert Pujols still somehow on this list? Nine eighteen. I can't believe that. It just shows how much of a freak he was the first half of his career. Nine eighteen. And then, um, you said Bryce Harper, so I'm going to guess that was a mistake you made, and Bryce Harper is on yeah, the list. Not, yeah, nine fourteen. 
I mean, I, he would have been my guess. I would have kept going with the other group. Am I missing anybody? There's one more. Oh, there's still one more. Freddie Freeman. No, 892. What a, what a scrub. What an idiot. Uh, and for the record, Mookie Betts is 887, and Nolan Arenado is 883. These guys suck. They should just hang it up. Uh, I should I be thinking which category should I be thinking of? Like position wise? No, I mean younger or older. Middle. It doesn't help at all. I know. <laughs> younger. I mean, you're gonna have to declare the thirty or thirty or older. Older than thirty. Older than thirty. So older is the answer. Eh. I mean, yes, that's the answer. When I think older, I think like thirty-five plus. Uh, You've named two of his teammates. I've named two of his teammates. One you were right, one you were wrong. Oh, uh, Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. 907. Yeah. All right, very good. Here's what's coming up totally tubular-wise. Totally tubular is bar brought to you by the Baltimore Police who are still looking for some folks. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. Here's what's coming up. Totally tubular-wise, Orioles open up a series of the Twins who have the best ERA in the American League. I just saw that. I did not know that. They do? They have eight, the they're, eight, they're 18th overall in baseball. With a three six eight, you might th be thinking the best home ERA. Maybe it's home ERA. I saw this morning their their home ERA is sub two. It's like one eighty two. All right, well that might be the case. I saw maybe maybe I missed that word. I saw oh it's best rotation ERA from John Morosi. Best rotation ERA in the American League is the Twins at two point six two. And since that's all that I I said what I said and I meant what I meant right. Like, <laughs> I said what I said. It's not it. That's what matters, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, that—that's their their rotation ERA is a two point six two, which is absurd. Um, did not uh, uh, Dylan Bundy has pitched well for the Twins? Like, see, you said Orioles. No, I meant I said Twins. Pretty I said sure the Orioles are taking on the Twins, who have the best ERA. Oh, that was on. That's on me. Yeah, that's what I was. That's my, what my, I was. My non-working ears. Yeah, that's what I said. All right. Uh, anyway, Orioles and Twins open up a series tonight. 7 o'clock on Masson. Chris Paddock and Tyler Wells, the pitching matchup tonight. MLB Network for Braves Mets at 7. Rays Athletics later on. A TNT Game 1 for the Sixers and the Heat tonight at 7.30 for the Mavs and Suns tonight at 10. No calls. I am nervous. Uh, ESPN as the hockey playoffs get underway tonight. Bruins, Hurricanes, game one at 7. Blues, Wild, game one at 9.30. ESPN 2, Lightning, Maple Leafs, game one at 7.30. Kings, Oilers, game one at 10. The USA Network for Man U and Brentford at 3 o'clock and WWE Monday Night Raw at 8. Some non-sports highlights. Uh, from We Own This City, John Bernthal is going to be on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, Tom Cruise is going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live ahead of, um, what's it called, Top Gun 2. Maverick coming out this month. Uh, and then, of course, you have Better Call Saul at 9 o'clock on AMC, and We Own This City at 9 o'clock on HBO. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Did you catch any uh, Ozark yet? I watched the first episode. Yeah, very. I watched the first episode. Crazy. Yes, yes. Crazy indeed. I am still struggling with, how the season began mm -hmm. and how we get back, like what that was. And I don't know, I'm trying to not do anything spoiler wise, for people that haven't watched. The 
dream sequences that we saw. Wait, maybe I watched two episodes. Maybe I watched two episodes. How many of them have you watched? Just the one. Just, you just watch the, the first one. one the, the dream sequences so, with Ruth, right? Right. Right. So it was the one episode. Yeah. All right. Make me go back to my theory about whether or not what they showed at the beginning of the season was a dream sequence. And if that was their way of alluding to that by... Because they haven't used dream sequences a lot over the history of the show, but they laid into that with the dream sequences in this. There were multiple Ruthie dream sequences in that episode, which makes me wonder if we go back to how the season began, that's their way of saying, yeah, dream sequences are a thing, so be prepared what you saw then might have been nothing other than a dream sequence. Look at you, Glenn. Not I don't know. Ju- not just a hat rack know. up there. I don't know. I don't know. I have no clue. It's I just it made me think about it. Well, now you're making I've, me think about the it. The entire season was set up by that that scene at the beginning of the first episode, mm-hmm. and you're like, "What are they showing us?" And 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 how did it like you all I'm struggling with all of it. And I'm wondering if that was nothing other than uh, Marty having a dream sequence because he's the one that so badly just wants everybody to get out. Mm-hmm. Just get out, right? He's the one. That that was his dream sequence at the start of the season and that they're using this episode to remind us that dream sequences are a trope that they're using this season. And there's no getting out in his well, mind, I mean, maybe. That's that's the story that they're, that they're really... I, and I refused... It's an, Again... Right, wait, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too it's far. It's so intriguing. They're all out, though. Every episode, I can watch through the end of the season, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got other things to do this week, damn it. But I have so many shows to watch this week. Yeah, yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I have um, I have a few. And I, and I got caught up in that stupid stripper movie last week that everybody made me. I, I, literally, at the bar- barbershop, they were talking about so much that I decided to watch it, and I could have been spending that time another way. All right. Uh, anyway, Total Tubular was also brought to you today by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, where you should be for fight nights this month, UFC 274, the big Gervonta Davis fight. They're going to be showing them, and you can bet them as they're going on. There's so many different prop bets available on fight night. 61 self-service kiosks. If you want to guarantee your spot for either fight night, email events at sportssocialmd.com. Thanks today to Peter King. Thanks to Mike Golick. New Ravens punter Jordan Stout. We'll get all that up in the greatest hit section of the Archives. tab at glennclarkradio.com. Speaking of We Own This City, uh, I believe Josh Charles is joining us tomorrow. Nice. He said he was going out. Of course, you saw he uh, announced the Ravens' third-round pick on Friday night. He said, I'm going out to Vegas. I got to come back to do the Fallon show on Tuesday, so can we do Tuesday? I said, ah, a lot of guys do Fallon and Glenn Clark Radio. It's very, it's a very common thing for people to double up on Fallon and GCR on the same day. So, of course, let's not break tradition. Let's go ahead and make that happen. So, I think Travolta did the same thing. I believe that's the case, yes. So, uh, Josh Charles scheduled to join us tomorrow. Uh, Patrick Stevens is going to join us tomorrow, as he does every Tuesday, as this is the uh, final uh, week before uh, Selection Sunday in college lacrosse. We'll set that up and stuff and things. We continue to work on uh, trying to track down members of the Ravens draft class. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, the Baltimore Police, Great Eights Memorabilia, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, the Baltimore Orioles, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. 
Thanks to Paul at Paul Valley the Third is how you follow him on Twitter. Thanks to Ryan at Rex Specs. Ryan is how you follow him. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday evening. Go Birds. Duke sucks. And not Marty Bird. Not, not those birds. Go Orioles. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too.